This podcast covers sensitive topics. Content warnings are included in the episode description. We may also cover serious spoilers. Additionally, this episode was recorded a couple of weeks ago before the WGA strike concluded, so apologies for the out-of-date information. Procedural generation. Hello everyone, welcome back to Procedural Veneration, the podcast where we talk about, rate, and goof on your favorite procedurals, even if you don't actually like them. Or watch them. Or watch them. We've been gone a while, Daphne. We we've been gone for two months now. Taking it, taking a little uh, something like that. Something like that, yeah. Taking a little break, enjoying the time of great movies and TV that's on right now. Uh-huh. Just kidding. It kind of sucks a little bit. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's Barbie. That was good. But this summer has been a little, little bit stinky for movies. Except for Meg Two. Except for the Meg Two. Yeah. That that was an absolute hit. And yeah. then I adore Fast X because you know it's a terrible movie but it's so good to be oh yeah fast movie. x is an amazing movie yeah, highly recommend i'm sad that it didn't do very well uh the box office overall because it's i don't know it's no it's probably one of the better bad mo- bad ones right yeah uh, really great it, watching experience yeah and now our the future of the fast and the furious is at risk because of the you could say the fate of the furious the fate of the furious is at risk <laughs> now that one did pretty well too i think That's why <laughs> but this great. isn't a movie podcast. This is not a movie podcast. We only, I only really bring this up to transition into a little bit about the ongoing strikes. Sin- I think since we last recorded, absolutely, yeah. Uh, SAG-AFTRA, the Actors Guild, has joined WGA in striking against their new contract uh, with similar bad terms. So it's just kind of a nightmare. But that's not what we're here for. Um, well, I will say a little fun fact is that. Um, the strike started in like episode four or so of this podcast. Yeah, we and mentioned it's them. Still going. Yeah, I think our, I think we fell out of love with Gary Sinise, who uh, you know might have a major role in what we're talking about today, uh, specifically because he hadn't said anything about the WGA strike, and Mandy Patinkin had. Yeah, Mandy Patinkin's on the freaking picket line. Has been since just the WGA days, and yeah. I'm not sure what Mandy Patinkin's uh, work life is like nowadays. He's going on tour for his music stuff. Yeah, so Mandy Patinkin was right, is the moral of the story. Yeah. If you have means, uh, maybe buy some merch or something, helping people stay aloft in the general fight against capitalists uh, that we all get something out of. <laughs> we'll put some links. Yeah, we'll put we'll links in the episode description. What are we talking about today, Daphne? This week, we're tackling CSI New York. And asking the question, is Gary Sinise soulless in all of his procedural spinoffs or just Criminal Minds Beyond Borders? Hank, your answer. I mean, it's it's a, it's continuous, right? It's the same character. <laughs> yeah, that's what it seems like. It just gets a promotion, becomes a fed, and then Criminal Minds Beyond Borders, right? Because there's no discernible difference between his role in this one and the next one, right? Yeah, corporate would like you to find the difference between these two pictures. For uh, all, I hate to keep jumping back to the ca- to Castle for this, but I mean Nathan Fillion was in Castle where he became a private eye, but overall was you know a crime writer. And then his more recent procedural has been The Rookie, where he actually becomes a cop. And those are like two vastly different roles, right? But this is just the same role <laughs> for Gary. Yeah, and same same delivery too. Doesn't change up a whole lot. I don't know. 
I think Gary's acting is a little too subtle for me. Um, I don't think my my you're too smooth brained. I'm too smooth brained. I'm not well versed enough in acting to be able to recognize the sheer amount of facial tick and minor voice modulation he puts into his no versus his no. Exactly. Let's uh, move on a slight bit from Gary. Okay. We can we can circle back. Well, we'll always be back to Gary. Yeah. Our first love. So CSI New York aired from about 2004 to 2013 with nine seasons and 197 episodes. The show, of course, stars Gary Sinise, you may know from the hit movie Open Season. I, I did not. <laughs> I mean, I've seen a lot. Of, I've seen Open Season many times. It's just one of those movies that came out at the right time. I yeah, never clocked Gary Sinise as the villain from Open Season, the hunter. And in order to prepare for this, I did watch several clips from Open Season, and I dare say that Gary Sinise is a very good voice actor. It's It was shocking to watch some of those behind-the-scenes things where he's just, like, breathing life into this character and, like, clearly gets, you know, you get you get some voice acting performances where it's like, oh, I'll just be me, right? He's clearly exaggerating and making everything so lively about this voice, and it's like... Hey Gary, you can you can do that when your face is shown too. <laughs> yeah, and um, Hank, as Hank has already shown um, through editing, when he's added in the amazing guitar riff that Gary ad libs mm-hmm. in Open Season. You can say I'm insane, but no one understands me like my darling Lorraine. <laughs> um, a truly a very good delivery. I'm like, why can't we see more of this, Gary? Why does he have to be stone cold Gary Sinise in every procedural we watch? Because he's a stone cold gray fox. Is that what it's called? Gray fox? Yeah, gray fox okay. is hot older men. Yep. Mm-hmm. God. Thank we God. Said we, we said we were getting off Gary. Thank God for gray foxes. Am I right, Hank? Keep me going. That's for sure. <laughs> Anywho. So Gary Sinise plays Detective Mac Taylor. And then he has this whole CSI squad in New York who travel around solving crimes, shooting baddies. Very New York, very saturated. Everyone has a tragic backstory. That's CSI New York, baby. Yeah, we've established CSI and CSI Miami. Both of them feature openings by The Who, two very famous songs that Who Are You? And then uh, the other one. (laughs) The other one, yeah, Mm -hmm, exactly. Uh, Hang on, it'll it'll get to me. The screaming one. Won't won't get fooled again. Yeah, won't get fooled again. There we go. (laughs) And so I was thinking, oh, what Who song are they going to do? Something thematic. I don't know, like even like, pinball wizard could work for this no they just go for like the 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 third and the trifecta of most popular who songs and do baba o'reilly which is thematically completely wrong for a procedural and just i i have it's inexcusably stupid it's just like the perfect little piece of evidence this emphasis of what this show is which is just a hollow copy paste of other csi shows in like the laziest way, right? Yeah, you know how Bob O'Reilly is like a pro cop anthem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> it's all about the establishment. And it's all about accepting life how it is. Uh, so that's the vibe they've taken for CSI New York. So I did say that there was a lot of shooting. That's kind of a lie. There's not that much shooting or chasing. The show is 99% people standing around. Um, we don't even get the CSI Miami montages of the city and nope. people partying. It's just like maybe one stock footage shot of the skyline. And then it's like, okay, that's enough. Time to show people standing doing nothing again. Uh, this is unsurprising, as most of it was filmed in L.A. 
but but they go to Central Park so much, Daphne. Are you telling me that wasn't actually Central Park? Oh my god, we'll talk about this later, but that Central Park was the most it looked like a Wizards of Waverly Place it, set. It truly was. It's like It might have been the exact same Wizards of Waverly Place set. <laughs> so CSI I New York as a whole, as you might anticipate, it's a spin-off of the hit TV show, CSI. Oh shit, the same Miami. <laughs> That's right, Hank. I've tricked you. Technically, I, CSI New York is not- I tried not, to make your joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Technically, it's not a spinoff of CSI. Technically, it's a spinoff of CSI Miami. I, I assume that the reason reasoning there is that the introduction of Gary Sinise and whoever else in the crew was in that was an episode of CSI Miami, right? Yes. And I, we mentioned that in the CSI Miami episode, I think, as well. Imagine getting to a point where your spinoff show is the one that you have to- introduce new spinoffs off of because you don't have confidence in your original show to do it anymore right um yeah so horatio kane himself spoke mac taylor into existence yeah he it's a, he, birthed he, him. he prayed for a man who would make him by comparison look like the most three-dimensional character who ever lived exactly <laughs> instead of a mcshoot uh rando who just does a bunch of murders yeah this isn't a csi miami episode despite what all the haters will tell you. Yeah, this is a CSI New York episode where literally nothing happens. So yeah, there's another, you know, a whole other cast of characters, but they're all pretty low energy and kind of difficult to remember their names. They all dress pretty 2000s, which is pretty funny, including some frosted tips. And they're not like, I want to, not, nothing against the actors or anything. It's just like, it feels like the, there's not a lot for the characters to do in no, a lot of the sure. episodes. I, I agree 100%. And, I hate to just keep bringing up other things that we've talked about, but and especially things that have Gary in them. But like with with Criminal Minds Beyond Borders, the big problem I had at least compared to like Criminal Minds or this compared to CSI is that this episode starts crime. <laughs> We're talking about crime here. Uh, crime is solved. Roll credits immediately. It's there's nothing. There's not even a, a single vignette moment for characters to breathe in. It's just any characterization has to happen in the context of the crime. That crime needs to be in and out in 45 minutes and there's no room for anything else. Okay, guys, but like I don't care about any of these characters now because I'm not seeing them do anything but solve crime. And do and solve crimes poorly. <laughs> yeah, and as we've established, most cops violate people's constitutional rights on the regular. So when I'm seeing people only solve crimes, they just kind of look like assholes. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, something I did want to point out is on the Wikipedia page, there is like the whole like character arc synopsis of every single character, which, which is crazy. And they're all pretty short, let me tell you, except for Mac Taylor's. Um, but one of them is Adam Ross, um, a.k.a. A.J. Buckley. And he's a lab tech. And so I'm just going to read you this Wikipedia blurb about him and we'll see you know, what you can point out here. Adam Ross, a.k.a. A.J. Buckley, is a lab tech originally from Phoenix, Arizona. His specialty is trace evidence. He sometimes accompanies the CSIs to crime scenes to aid in reconstruction or evidence collection. Outside work, he dabbles in various subcultures, from Second Life Gaming to dating a suicide girl, and is textbook modern geek. Anything stick out to you about that? Anything stick out? That was so generic and uninteresting. The suicide girl thing definitely stood out yeah. like a sore thumb. Uh, as his outside work, he dabbles in various subcultures, from Second Life Gaming to dating a suicide girl, and is a textbook modern geek. Uh, the outside work thing, because like, do they show anybody outside work? <laughs> That's a good question. So the part of this I thought was really fucking funny was that, oh, I was trying to restrain myself from using F-bombs. I was like, I need to, we need to make them count, right? Oh, like fuck PG, that. PG-13, you know? Make sure that we have, uh, we're really using them. Uh, anywho. But so he has this 
Outside work, he dabbles in various subcultures from Second Life Gaming to dating a suicide girl and is a textbook modern geek. And so I thought that was very funny because textbook modern geek is that he's dating a cam girl. That's what suicide yeah. girl is. It's like a, it's a real, like, it's yeah, yeah. like a tell cam girl type thing. Yeah, it's like a subculture. Uh, Doesn't seem problematic at all. Thing, yeah. Like, no, it does seem like a fetish thing. Well, it's it's like a, it's just like a subculture style thing. You, I guess you could consider it a fetish, but I'm getting real cagey here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't do that much research on it other than the brief uh, Wikipedia description. I spent enough time on r slash all to be familiar with Suicide Girls. Okay, cool. cool, cool, cool. Back before they filtered out all the porn and it ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to move on from that. Only anime porn on r slash all now. <laughs> this is Adam, the the weirdo, like... Who was threatened by his female co-worker. Yeah, who was Sorry, threatened by his who was not co-worker. who... His masculinity was threatened by... Emasculated. Yeah. yeah, he was emasculated by his female co-worker because she's good at her job. Right. Uh, unacceptable. Unacceptable. On top of that, there's been an insane number of well-known people that have had guest appearances. So this includes Kim Kardashian, Josh Brolin, Chris Angel Mind Freak, Kid Rock, Maroon 5, Train, and Octavia Spencer, just to name a couple. But it appears they often... Um, but not always play themselves. They're pretty famous. So like Train, Maroon 5, and Kid Rock all played themselves. I do think that the Kid Rock episode, they just rolled up to a real Kid Rock concert and just started filming. Gary Sinise fighting Kid Rock was real. They did that for Maroon 5 too, right? (laughs) Yeah, they just rolled up. They they didn't even ask them to be in the show. They're just like murders happening all over these concerts, apparently. They actually killed Adam Levine for the show. (laughs) Yeah, they killed Adam Levine just for this show. He's dead now. (laughs) (laughs) You can look it up. Look, Look it, it up. up. <laughs> this show ended in what, 2013 or something? 2013, yeah. I was dead on. Hell yeah. And in 2013, he's been dead the whole time. You guys just didn't notice it. That, yeah. That uh, Super Bowl performance from like four and a half years ago or something, not real. Didn't and, happen. And think about it. Has Train released any songs since 2014? <laughs> since since Soul Sister in like 2008? No, nothing. Look it up. Look it up. I like how like we're implying all of these guest stars got killed. <laughs> Yeah, and replaced. Replaced. By Gary Sinise. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I couldn't find a whole lot of, like, stuff specifically about, like, the production. All of that seemed pretty close-knit. They had the same issue where you have, like, the rotating cast of women. Who's yeah. surprised? But as far as I could tell, I didn't see any obvious, like, news articles where they're like, oh, yeah, I cut my job because they said I was just some generic brunette. Yeah. Also an example of where they where the procedural writers are like, oh, cool. CBS president wants us to cut this young brunette woman from the show. I guess we're going to kill her off in the most horrific way imaginable. Yeah, that does happen. So yeah. some people get promoted, yeah. to be fair. but yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a mix, right? You can't just go all horrific murders. But yeah, so that does happen, but I couldn't find anything directly linking um, Les, our good friend, and his shitty behavior uh, to this, though I assume it was happening. Other random fun things would be that in at least one case, according to IMDb, take it with a grain of salt. Oh, wait, <laughs> no. sorry. It's extremely, that's the, the, the one source of truth in this world, Daphne. Yes, yes, that is true. That is true. The CSI franchise has also been credited with the reverse CSI effect in addition to the CSI effect. Interesting. So um, as we've said before, the CSI effect is trials and juries unproportionately weighing forensic evidence. Do you have a guess of what the reverse CSI effect is? Just kind of discre- like defense defenses discrediting it as like, that could be anyone, right? And it's sort of, sort of panning out because I imagine there's a lot of these episodes where you got to help me. My, my DNA is on the crime scene, but I, I didn't kill her. 
No, it's uh, kind of the opposite direction. So in at least one case, once again, according to IMDb, there was a kidnap slash sexual assault victim that was that purposely left her DNA all over the place oh, yeah. where the crime was committed so that her assaulter could be identified and credited the CSI franchise for knowing to do that in the first place. Yep. Gary Sinise was awarded a medal for this. Yeah. Gary Sinise won eight medals. Purple Heart. When he lost his legs in Vietnam. Yeah. So I just thought that was interesting. That's one, the CSI effect where you're like, oh, DNA evidence is everything, even when it doesn't make any sense. But then also like the, oh, I got to leave my DNA on literally everything. I'm sure there's also part of it too, where it's like criminals maybe being more aware of the DNA they're leaving or the evidence they're leaving at crime scenes is probably a thing as well. Yeah. Kind of more normalizing that information for sure to a wider audience. Yeah. On like this note thinking about kind of the reverse CSI effect, it's time for a chilling look into Daphne's childhood psyche. Oh, no. First of all, I'd like to say when you're a kid, uh, why is all media obsessed with kidnappings? We read all these books in elementary school, right? And they were all, all either about one, kids in natural disasters, horrific hurricanes, earthquakes, tsunamis, whatever, or kids getting kidnapped. Right. Those are the only two genres of books and then, like, the older you get, you get into those weird dogs dying books. Yeah. <laughs> but younger than that, before I was reading Where the Red Fern Grows, we were reading freaking Margaret Peter Haddocks. That's who I'm I'm calling her out by <laughs> name. There was another. So her books were mostly about child endangerment and kidnappings. But there was another series that wasn't by her that was all about kids and natural disasters and, like, what to do when you're in one. Which is, I guess, helpful, but also, you know, makes you think as a child that, one, you're constantly going to get kidnapped. And, two, that natural disasters are constantly going to occur and you're going to have to fight your way out of them. Yeah. How many of those books is just is the culprit just quicksand? <laughs> also a good point. <laughs> a thing we should all be concerned about for our future. Yeah. So, because I, one read a bunch of Margaret Peter Haddock's books, and two, watched way too many procedurals. I had a plan that if I ever got kidnapped, that I was just going to pee over everything. Just like pee constantly. So anywhere, like, you know, I imagine like the trunk of a car, right? Like I'm peeing all over that trunk, (laughs) getting my DNA all over the place, hiding, just plucking hairs out of my my scalp and, and leaving them little breadcrumbs all over the place. And also, of course, punch out the taillight and try and get my blood in weird places. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Yeah. Well, I'm glad the investigators were able to find you from your DNA evidence and deliver you so you could make it in time for the podcast. Mm -hmm, Yeah. So did uh, (laughs) did Child Hank have a kidnapping game plan? Um, I don't know. I I, I was like kind of aware of it, right? Because like a lot of free reign to go places, but obviously the fear of or the um, child kidnapping concept was much more in the zeitgeist when i was growing up than it may have been for like my parents right so i just kind of was generally felt aware of it i don't know if i really had a plan i did know stuff like kick out the you can kick out the taillight or like trunks modern trunks should have a release from the inside right but i think more i think more than anything i think that an awareness that this media i, I think when you, when you think about like kids media it's all kids going on fun fantastical adventures what's like the only down-to-earth quote-unquote adventure a kid uh, a kid can actually go through you've got like running away from home right or getting kidnapped (laughs) those are like the only realistic 
adventures that happen to people. So I don't know if it's like a weird glorification and trying to stay grounded, right? But it does kind of highlight, you know, this is how you can be interesting. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of like like almost a superhero thing too, where it's, I watched a lot of Justice League and Batman and stuff like that. And like people are always getting kidnapped because it's like people don't die in any of those cartoons. Yeah. And so it's like to keep tensions high, you just got to kidnap people every now and then, you know? <laughs> right. Well, obviously the crooks in Gotham City were like, oh, Batman doesn't kill people? All right, we're, not, we're done murdering. <laughs> yeah, we won't murder either. <laughs> Hostages only. <laughs> so I just thought uh, I'd bring that up, let you yeah. know where my brain um, is at and my mental illness. Um. <laughs> I'm glad we're getting a chance to confront this because obviously I was uh, hosting the previous two CSI episodes and I think that in retrospect was probably a mistake because I think it would have been cathartic for you to get a chance to to be with your your spirit animal, uh, Horatio Kane. <laughs> Horatio Kane. Should we talk about overall reviews? Yeah, let's talk about our overall reviews. I thought, first and foremost, I want to put the good before the bad. This show looks really good. <laughs> it's like genuinely, especially in comparison to the other two CSIs, it looks great. It, even at like lower resolutions, whatever, it has pretty solid acting. I liked all the actors. I didn't, can't say I liked the characters, but they were all doing pretty well. And the cinematography is clean and concise and good. All of this, especially for the CSI that we've seen so far. However... <laughs> The show does not have much interest in that character drama that Law and Order kind of puts foremost, right? Interactions between characters really mattering in a meaningful way in response to the case instead of kind of a overlaid silly way that any character could could react anyway to this case, right? So it just ends up in a place where Gary Sinise is leading these 40-minute forgettable sessions. uh, And as I said, they pick up right when the crime starts and they end as soon as they get that confession, right? (laughs) It's really no surprise that he went on to be in the terrible Criminal Minds Beyond Borders after this because this is just like incubating him for it perfectly uh, in this nothing show of flat characters who get no time to stretch their legs. The crimes are pretty neat, though. So what's your number rating? My number rating is a 6.3 out of 10, which I know is extremely low for us, but I'm trying not to think about relative to other things and just think about my enjoyment of this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it just felt it felt like parody at certain points. Yeah, I said that it's it's a show that's characterized by zany crimes, forgettable cast, and milk toast performances. But sorry, Jeff, that's your castle review. Could you flip forward a little bit? <laughs> You're correct. That is uh, very close to my castle review. But it's still better than um, Miami. Oh, by leagues. Yeah, I think I enjoyed Miami more, honestly. Even though I didn't like CSI Miami, uh, and I didn't like how CSI Miami looked, uh, and I don't like Miami, <laughs> the city. So I give it a seven, but I'm willing to have wiggle room. In retrospect, I feel like I'd rate it lower just because I was unimpressed. You're right. The the crimes are fun, but the cast do not carry the crimes. No, they don't. And they're not even a chance to. Yeah. Just like they're they're shoved through it like like it's a Disney ride. (sighs) All right. Well, we got 6.3. We got seven. Probably somewhere in the middle sixes then is where we're going to end up. But let's not worry about that right now, Daphne is you're going to take us through Trivia Land. Yeah, so we have some trivia here. Some of it's pretty deranged, so let's um let's dive in. Okay, can't so wait. My first question for you is, which CSI New York guest star, which was not listed previously, Michael Bloomberg, received an Emmy nomination Never for mind. their appearance? Emmy nom for their appearance. Uh, is this somebody who famously led a different show? I'm not sure off the top of my head. This so is more of a film actor, you would say, then, based on Yes, that. I chose this person, one, because they're, they seem to be the only guest who's gotten an Emmy nomination for CSI New York, and because they're topically relevant to our week. Our week? Yeah, this week. Crap, what have I watched? This upcoming week or this, pa- this past This past week. Past week. Something from something that we've watched? No. Yeah. 
not you, Ed you, Asner, is it? It is Ed Asner. Oh, cool. <laughs> Ed Asner was the was a uh, clued answer at our local pub trivia. Yeah, we got it right. We got it right. Of we read the clues. Hell yeah. I'll give that to you. That's a that's a point. It's a point for Hank. <laughs> My next question for you is: What is Wikipedia's description for Stella Bonacero? Stella Bonacero. And let me double check. That is which not, person that is. <laughs> I don't have their. I don't have them written down. I wrote down a, a, a an. Oh, Stella. Yeah, yeah. Melina Canacoides. Yeah. She's the curly haired lady, right? The yes. earlier seasons. One. Yes. So she's our she's our female senior lead, right? Yep. Our our counterpart to Mac on the other side of of the um because the gender spectrum, I guess I don't know across the aisle of of man and womanhood. Yeah, yeah. As uh, Tom Hanks would say, um, chalice spear, inverting his hands, or maybe as Dan Brown would say would be more accurate. Bowing down in front of the in front of the Louvre. Go watch uh, Da Vinci Code. It's a bad movie. Like, Howard, you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> I'm gonna say she it doesn't take any guff. Sorry, doesn't take no guff. Mm-hmm. Got to have the double negative in there. And she's kind of like a Mac with flair. Interesting. Um, I'll say that there's like hints of that in there. Yeah. So it's half Greek, half Italian, and entirely New York City. Huh. Or she's also described <laughs> that's as- too, That's too many things. That's I think that's 200% right there. <laughs> she's also described as half Greek, half Italian, orphan. Okay. Yeah. I can see that, I guess. So I did like the a little, little, little reductive. Yeah, half Greek, half Italian, entirely New York City. Entirely New York orphan, baby. Yeah, pretty much. Annie. Yeah, essentially Annie. Grew <laughs> um, up watching Annie and aspired to be that. <laughs> no one else had like a little sassy tagline. Yeah, no point for me. No point for you. In the lore of CSI New York, how does Mac Taylor's wife die? Oh no, is this pre or post or during the show? It's before the show. I think that off screen Horatio Kane uh-huh. shoots a perp driving a truck, and then it collide. It he the truck veers and it collides, and then Horatio has, says a quip, uh, and Mac uh, is on screen shown crying. Yeah, because his wife was the truck. Well, no, his wife. The 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 perp the perp's driving the truck. Uh-huh. Horatio Kane, famed sniper, shoots the perp. The truck veers into the oncoming lane, crashes, kills Mac Taylor's wife. Who is the truck? No. <laughs> No, okay. unless that's the answer, in which case, yes. No, Mac Taylor was not married to a car. Uh, well, I didn't. You said that, not me. <laughs> I was imagining a semi too, so car would be an inaccurate. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, you know, I think that she died of a broken heart when he went crazy and killed a bunch of younglings. Interesting. Giving birth to his twin. <laughs> yeah, giving birth to his twin children. Um, it's actually it's very um topical to New York. And to Gary Sinise's whole deal. <laughs> she choked on an everything bagel. Choked on <laughs> You got it. It's actually they they rewrote the canon so she choked on an everything bagel. And she goes, God, this bagel's good. And then she eats it <laughs> and immediately chokes to death. She tries to cartoon character it where she just picks it out of the bag and then goes, mm-mm, puts it whole in her mouth and gulp it down, but she's not, so she just dies. And then the pizza rat drags her corpse into the sewers. No, Jesus. Sounds terrible. Yeah. And, the, uh, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, taste flesh for the first time. Exactly. Take that, Michael Bay. And, that, and, and his wife's name, April O'Neil. <laughs> um, so, that, I mean, the real answer is pretty depressing. Um, yeah, I'll bet it is. Yeah. 9 11. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's yeah in, I can see that, I yeah, guess. Yeah. She's in the World Trade Center, and then she gets out and calls Mac to tell him that she loves him and that she's going to run back in to help the others. And that's the, the last he hears from her. Out here in the field. Dun, dun. Oh, boy. Okay. 
But yeah, so uh, Mac Taylor's wife dies in 9-11, and he's pretty torn up about it. Thanks for that. I think um, getting cannibalized by the mutant Ninja Turtles is... That's like the second most New York way to die. The second most New York way to die, exactly. Yeah. Only last thing I'll say about Gary Sinise, that's not true, but uh, yeah, Hank play the guitar riff again. <laughs> Moving on, next question. A 2005 comment... That's the best year. ...on IMDb, the IMDb user, left a comment on CSI New York and says... Where there are lots of people who do not like clones, there are many others who wait with bated breath for the next one. I and my daughter are both in this category. Like clones? Yeah, clones. Like TV show clones, presumably? Presumably, yeah. <laughs> not like Django Fett clones? <laughs> yeah. She was very excited for Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> what I find most interesting is the variety of crimes from city to city. For example, CSI Las Vegas, which... Now that it is, it doesn't does exist and didn't exist. Did not exist back in back in two thousand five. So CSI. she is talking about original CSI. Yeah, has the desert slash gambling slash showgirls slash prostitution. CSI Miami has alligators slash hurricanes slash illegal immigrants slash drug smuggling. Okay. CSI that's... New York has drugs, mobs, gangs slash big city overpopulation. And ethnic diversity. A thing that CSI Miami was sorely lacking. (laughs) (laughs) Crammed in a small space slash terrorism threats. How how New York. (laughs) How New York. Now, I do like that this lady has put alligators, hurricanes, drug smuggling on the same level as ethnic diversity. It terrifies her, clearly. Not as much as a clone does, though. (laughs) No, she loves clones. She loves clones. Hates ethnic. Well, that makes sense. She hates. She loves <laughs> things that are the same and hates ethnic diversity. This is making a lot of sense. This woman is a textbook xenophobe. <laughs> Here comes the question. We would, oh God, still waiting on the question. Yeah, we would most like to see a CSI Alaska. <laughs> oh no. My question for you is: What are the Alaska crimes? I'm gonna do joke answers real quick. Oh, I will say she did respond. She did give what she thinks. Oh yeah, yeah they yeah. are. Yeah, but I want. I gathered based on the question. Joke answers first. Polar bears, uh, frostbite, and smuggling. One of those is correct. Yeah, smuggling's correct because it's like a huge hub. That is not correct. Oh, smuggling's not correct? Sorry. Polar bears is correct? <laughs> polar bears is correct. <sighs> I, to, I was hoping it wasn't frostbite at least because that's not a crime. That's just a thing that happens to you. Uh, so smuggling feels like it could be a pretty good answer for that question. No. I guess not. Nope. Uh, so polar bears, uh, molar hairs. Those are hairs you get in moles. Mm-hmm. Um, shoulder chairs. Those are, uh, chairs you put out in, uh, shoals, which Small honestly, islands? I don't actually know what shoals are. There's just a Mario Kart, uh, race with them in the name. And I think it's something to do with the ocean. So interesting. Interesting. Alaska. So the answer is poaching polar bears. I actually I forgot. I was going to say poaching. <laughs> this poaching polar bears, eagles, whales, fish, seals. Oh, okay. Exploration espionage, oil and gas, diamond and gold mines, slash, Hideouts for criminals escaping mainstream cities, etc. Um, yeah, that sounds like a riveting television show. Also, very funny description of what CSI Alaska would be. Where's the ethnic diversity? Yeah, no ethnic diversity. Yeah, none allowed. Pretend everyone in Alaska is white. Is Les hearing this? Does someone have Les on the line? Les. Get Les. He doesn't have a job anymore, I don't think. We have a pitch for you, Les. Les, we got to start a new company just to make this. We heard you hate women and ethnic diversity. Um, Boy, does Kathy have a pitch for you. What's that? You no longer have the CSI license? Go to hell, Les. (laughs) Okay. uh, My last... So I'll give you a point for that. A point for getting polar bears. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. My last question for you. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Margaret Peter Haddix wrote a novel entitled mm-hmm. Claim to Fame. Oh, okay. And I I forgot to talk about Claim to Fame at the top of the episode. We've been watching a lot of Claim to Fame, and I'm very <laughs> excited to share that with our listeners. Well, um, here's your chance. So she wrote a book called Claim to Fame. Yeah, what is we're the plot? We're 48 minutes into this, and we're still in trivia. I'm not going to talk about Claim to Fame on this episode. That's fine. So tell me, tell me, what's the plot to Margaret Peter Haddock's Claim to Fame? All right. So I, I'm going to go ransom kidnapping of a pop star's little sister. Pop star is correct. Okay. Pop star themselves get kidnapping. Young young pop star get kidnapped. Um, we'll say maybe ransomed. We'll say that's kind of close. Okay, pop star gets murdered. Pop star who is in some distress, who's also a teen, is pretty accurate. Buried alive. Got it. Yeah, buried alive. Quentin Tarantino is <laughs> there. Tarantino directed an episode of CSI. <laughs> <laughs> Got Daphne kicked off of CSI. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll go ahead and tell you. Um, this novel has the following synopsis. One day, Lindsay Scott was on top of the world, the child star of a hit TV show, which we can just pretend it's CSI New York. Mm-hmm. The next day, her fame had turned into torture. This is just about Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> Every time anyone said anything about her anywhere in the world she heard it praise criticism backstabbing Lindsay had what looked like a nervous breakdown and vanished from the public eye now she's 16 and a tabloid newspaper claims that her own father is holding her hostage the truth is much stranger but the tabloid article sets off a chain of events that forces Lindsay to finally confront who she really is that's claim to fame by margaret claim peter to fame and, Mar- and uh, i prefer the tv show adaptation with uh, kevin and franklin jonas and uh, tom hanks's niece going ape shit so that's that's disappointing i think I no think it's, do you have anything else to say about that sorry no 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 well would you like to move on daphne no good because i also have a trivia question for you oh, okay surprise it's turnabout's fair play baby so i tried to find a list of roles after seeing gary's acting in a second procedural and being like really I tried to find a list of roles that he was considered for. Um, I only found one. Now, this role ended up going to Lawrence Fishburne. So just going to throw that out there. Uh, no, it's not Matrix. So I, But I want you to try to get there through through question. Original CSI. Original CSI is not correct. He actually um, advised John Malkovich to not take the job that Lawrence Fishburne ended up taking. This would have been post-original CSI. Actually, would have been post this show, I think, too. Or like during the show. Yeah, yeah. We talked about this previously. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. So my first question is, is it a TV show? This is not a TV show. No, it is a it is it genre superhero movie. Superman. No, although Lawrence Fishburne is in Man of Steel, so good on you for that. I'm not sure if you knew that or not. Uh, I think I vaguely knew that because I think I've seen clips. We watched this movie not too long ago. Daredevil. Nope. You watched that without me because I did not want to watch it again. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say about it. Green I, Lantern. Uh, no, not Green Lantern. That was bad. That's it's all a, I have to say about yeah, it. This one's a sequel. Is it Blade Two? No, it's not. Blade oh II. shit! I love Blade Two. Lawrence Fishburne isn't in that. This is a this is a voice acting role. Oh, Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer, exactly. Which I just love because obviously now since then since I wrote this question we have discovered the joy that is his performance in open season as uh, Shaw the Hunter. Yeah, play that for us again. Beautiful. Love to hear it. But I, at that point, I was thinking, we're just going to waltz up to the recording booth and be like, Galactus is coming. <laughs> that wouldn't be a perfect role for Gary Sinise because um, Silver Surfer shows no emotion. There's no emotion. Well, facially, I feel like Lawrence Fishburne does deliver a decent performance in general for the character, though. But I mean, obviously, maybe, maybe Gary Sinise would be more emotive in his speaking role of a <laughs> Matt or sorry, a glossy silver man on a surfboard uh, than he would in his either of his roles in this or uh, him yeah. playing the Mac Taylor in. or Mac Taylor again. Yeah, Mac Taylor again. <laughs> I don't even know what his na- character's name is. It might as well be Mac Taylor. But I couldn't find anything else, so I don't know if he's just not very ambitious or if people just don't publicize him 
going out for things very often. She's great in open season, though. He's great in open season. Yeah. Can we play that again? <laughs> ah, music to the ears. Music to the ears. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, what episodes do we want to watch or talk about first? Well, let's let's do our usual order, the the watch order. Um, especially because median our median episode, which was season seven, episode eight. So weird. Very weird. Opened strongly, I would say. <laughs> strongly. Um, this episode was called "Scared Stiff," which. out of 10 on IMDb. Thank you. I did not write down the uh, things. Um, This episode opens. I don't remember what song was playing. I think it was kind of... I wrote Lo-Fi Beats to Autopsy 2. Lo-Fi Beats to Autopsy 2. But we are greeted to a very creepy looking, like, obviously a deceased woman sitting upright on an exam table with eyes wide open. And so the camera is just kind of panning or or not panning. Or eyes wide shut, you might say. Camera, yeah, it's kind of just like back and forth as the shots return. And the M.E., Looks like a fucking creep. <laughs> yeah, like, it was really hard to tell whether this was like the murder happening or the autopsy yeah, happening. This was a really rough because you're like you're like he's probably in a set that I assume is the medical examiner's room and has a bunch of equipment, so he's probably a good guy. But boy, does it look like he's about to have sex with this corpse. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he also uh, sports some glasses that snap together at the bridge, so they're like on a wire on his neck, and then when he needs to like look at something up close, he does this like four times in the episode that we watched he just like reaches together and snaps his glasses it's pretty together. cool pretty cool uh but also looks like a pervert <laughs> only perverts have glasses that snap together in the front <laughs> keep that in mind i mean his, the character's name is sid hammerback so take That's that a as a pretty you will. good name <laughs> you know, robert joy performing as sid hammerback but yeah so uh, just extremely inappropriate chill vibes music a terrifying series of cutaways of this woman being pursued and, and murdered and then would you believe it as she's running through like the wilderness it's in Central Park. <gasps> Who'd have thought? <laughs> I wouldn't have because it looked like a bad um, haunted house set. Yeah, it looked like, a, like, like an Into the Woods high school musical set. <laughs> but yeah, this lo-fi beats to autopsy too, where there's absolutely no dialogue. Just him getting her ready to autopsy and slowly painting around her. It lasts for two and a half minutes. We know because we checked. Yeah. And then, of course, as soon as we get this, it's sort of like you see her, you finally see her final resting place in Central Park, which is already passed because she's already on the ME table. But then it, that's when it zooms out and it's like, oh, this is Central Park, the place that you know from New York City. <laughs> and we're immediately treated to the opening credits with the fascinating usage of Bob O'Reilly yeah. <laughs> pro cop anthem. And we cannot stress that enough. They're like, oh, she was scared to death. Because she saw ghosts in Central Park. And the short answer is no. But the real answer is also very yes. strange. They spend the whole episode essentially talking about ghosts in Central Park. And then at the very end, it's like, oh, actually, she went home with a guy who has a weird kink for undressing women and making them unconscious and doing their makeup. And he used the laughing gas on her but didn't know that she was on antidepressants so it caused her to suffocate because i guess that's the reaction that happens that's what that um gorilla song is about right laughing gas these hazmats yeah line him up like ass crack exactly exactly right ladies ponies i don't know (laughs) um also after the opening the cutaways of her murder continue while they're like investigating Central just Park. the same scene over and over yeah, again. Yeah, it's basically just the same thing. Her screaming and running away. And it's like, I, yeah, I got it, guys. Like, no, I, I get it. I get it. That's what happened. You can stop showing it to me. It's also so inconsequential to the rest of the the episode. Yeah. they. I mean, it's like they characterize her more 
by giving her three and a half minutes of, of cutaways of her running away screaming than they do any of these characters, especially Gary Sinise. Then see, they're like investigating and they're like, hmm, there's a lot of tennis shoe prints in Central Park. Yeah, bud. <laughs> yep, it is. And then this, I also wrote down that this episode has better script writing for cops discussing ghosts than 2016's Ghostbusters Answer the Call did, <laughs> um, which in, in which everybody just kind of like, yeah, ghosts exist. I don't care. Go, go away. <laughs> Yeah, I also wrote that this show watches like an FMV video game. Like every scene, it's like you've just clicked a dialogue option and the character is responding to it. Like every scene looks like an FMV game. That's with like, I think the acting reminded me of an FMV game. And then also like the sets screamed FMV game to me. Which is absolutely hilarious to watch it with that mindset. Yeah, I also, uh, I think Script like an FMV game? Ooh, get wrecked. <laughs> I think that uh, Law & Order should probably sue them for copyright infringement of just rolling the camera on two actors who are actively having a New York off. Yeah, and I we already essentially told you the plot to this episode. And none of it like is really revealed till the very end. And even then you're like, uh, 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 okay, <laughs> I guess we're at the end now, are we? Yeah. Did, did, we, did we solve that mystery? Right. Uh, okay. Uh, at one point, two of the CSIs, I believe it's Sheldon, um, as well as Joe, maybe I can't exactly remember. They are discussing how this could was this maybe ghosts? I don't know. And then the Joe, I think, looks out over you know the the lake where people ice skate in Central Park. I don't know what it's called. I'm not from New York. And then just sees two ghosts. Yeah, there's just casually two ghosts ice skating on a pond in this episode, and it's never touched on. It just happens, and I'm like, oh, maybe it's like a Scooby Doo thing where like people are trying to convince. Um, New Yorkers that this place is haunted to scare them away from where the bodies are hidden. It's like, no, it was just real ghosts. And yeah, we're not going to talk about that again. They do like a boring daytime investigation stuff. They're victims of Jane Doe, so they don't have any leads as of right now. And then before you know it, nighttime in Central Park again, baby, and they're out there looking for the culprit, returning to the scene of the crime, which just soundstage in a fog machine. (laughs) Yeah, it looks 100% like a fog machine. It is very funny. It's it's really dense fog on the ground, like crappy uh, indoor dirt scenes, which leads to Gary Sinise chasing somebody who was digging up a body. Over this chase scene, which takes about two and a half minutes, I'd say, our subtitles broke and just showed us the next line, which did, does not come until after this scene ends. So the entire chase scene of just Gary Sinise running through this sound stage with fog on it and dirt scattered around, it just shows, I'd say our next victim is about 5'9". <laughs> sorry, our victim is about 5'9". Um, our next victim. Our next victim. We're going to yeah. kill him. <laughs> I'd say our victim is about 5'9". I'm going to kill this guy. I'm going to kill this guy, yeah. It's just like, just, it just undercut this like kind of earnest attempt at like Gary's trying to, or sorry, Max trying to uh, chase this guy down. It's just the entire time it just says, I'd say our victim was about 5'9". Yeah. Another fun thing about this is uh, one, they bagged every piece of trash they found in Central Park uh, because it might be a clue. None Mm -hmm. of it was. But I had said to Hank while we were watching, I had said, why is everyone disposing of bodies in Central Park? To which he responded, yeah, New Jersey is just like right there. I mean, it's a famed body disposal place. Oh, yes. Yeah, so there's at one point they interview a ghost hunter yep. who was in the park at the time and ran into the victim. Yeah, and grabbed her. And grabbed her. Because he said <laughs> he said that he grabbed her and that's how I knew she was a human form. Huh, interesting. <laughs> but yeah, it was the Shane Madey approach of trying to grab the ghost to prove that it's not a Scooby-Doo hoax. I don't even know if that was the point. He's like, I thought he was like, oh, I was trying to calm her down. No, he literally said he wanted to grab her to prove that she was 
a ghost. Uh, okay. So weird episode, um, all in all. So uh, interesting stuff, interesting stuff. They also continue to show her pretty unnecessarily, I think. And so I just, all I can think about is just this poor actress who probably spent like six hours for these scenes, like just in this dead person makeup, stock still, eyes wide open, while Gary flubs line after line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although may- may- maybe she didn't have to go that long because famously, uh, Gary's response to being asked to take it again is just... No. Uh, next episode? Yeah. Uh, can I quote Adam one second? Yes, yes. Real quick. Come on, give it to daddy. Yeah, give it to me. <laughs> yeah, I did also have that written down, <laughs> to which someone, I think it was Joe or whatever, responded, you're not on one of those kinky websites, are you? So that was fun. Bad episode. Bad episode uh, for a median episode, I would say. But sorry to go there, but we got to talk about the worst episode. Season one, episode five, A Man, A Mile, a Canal Panama for my uh, palindrome nuts out there. Woo woo. It's a 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb. So this uh, whole vibe is you got the New York City Sandhogs who yeah. are building... Water Tunnel 3. Yeah, Water Tunnel number real 3. thing. Yeah, which is a real thing that is going to be 60 miles long and we promise they're going to finish it at some point. Yeah. It was started in like the 90s or maybe even earlier than that. In his late 70s, right? Oh, I have it written down right here. It's a real project started in 1970 and is expected to go till 2032. Jesus Christ is what I have (laughs) written down. Yeah. But it's like a really large um, infrastructure project for New York. So you have these guys who are working on building this tunnel and they light some dynamite or explosives or whatever to clear some rock and they come back down and there was there's a dead body in there and it's one of their guys so it's like who killed him that's the general mystery i mean i guess we can once again this one's not that deep it's that this guy's brother yeah this guy the the, the victim's brother the victim is like a layabout lazy guy um who's never done anything right and his brother this is during uh this is season one right What, what year did this show start 20, 2004. 2004. Okay, so this is even during financial crisis. But his uh, brother is like, I worked hard to get him a job and blow. When he was blowing it away, and this guy caused started shit, including with a guy who got or he dropped his keys at one point. One of his transgressions was not attaching his carabiner to his belt. Dropped his keys, which gave another guy on the team permanent brain damage and anger issues as a result. Yeah, which uh, is interesting. Which, like that guy was was wearing a hard hat. <laughs> I don't know, like... Sue the hard hat company. Yeah, sue the hard hat company, truly. It's like, I know you shouldn't drop keys and whatnot, but like, I don't know. It was also like, they very explicitly said it was like a frontal brain in, brain damage injury. Surely, surely the keys would glance off before they hit your frontal lobe or whatever. But yeah, and the you dropped it on the shaft, right? And it doesn't really make sense the keys would manage to hit a person when dropped because that's where the elevator is. Yeah, it's like just, this guy's just standing on the on the line between... He's standing on top of the be. elevator. <laughs> Well, the elevator was up at the top, but like still like it's in a cage, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He had a, yeah. So I think that there's something else going on here. Yeah. Anywho. And then he keeps like provoking that guy and getting getting into fights with that guy. And so his brother just one day puts him down in the mine shaft. Says he's gonna teach him a lesson. Teach him a lesson, he'll come get him in the morning. But his brother, the the, the victim, is an asthmatic and his inhaler got messed up because I think another guy was like just kind of messing with it in response to this guy being a being a a doof on the job, right? Yeah. So his inhaler's empty and then he has an asthma attack and dies. Yep, that's what happens. Yep. And so the explosion was just the everybody on the job or whoever knew about it, I guess, covering up the uh, inadvertent Murder. manslaughter of this yeah. guy but that's not the only plot in this episode and is it 
you're correct. That is not the end of plot. <laughs> and that's, I honestly think, probably one of the worst parts of this episode that there are just two, there's an A plot and a B plot that don't link at all. And the, Oh, uh, yeah, I wrote the women doing women things. Women doing women things. I wrote uh, Les Moonves' trademark, completely different pair of brunette leads at a different part of the series. <laughs> one of which being the woman who dies a brutal death, according to you. Yeah. Um. So in that one, they pull a, a woman's body out of the Hudson. Uh, I wrote that it looks like the, the girl from The Ring. Yep. So I told the detective to look away. <laughs> Uh, there's not it's really boring um private school kid private who's school poor kid. trying to fit in and a, an adult man is in a sexual relationship with her but no one seems that worried about that part um just more worried about the fact that that man's younger sister strangles her to death with a writing crop no with a purse for sleeping with her brother it was the, it was the horn wasn't it the hunting horn they were using? Well, it was it was similar to that, but it was oh. actually the little strap on her purse. Oh, okay. It was yeah. it was nothing. It was a nothing. Yeah, it's like this this lady's now her brother's her guardian because her parents died, including her father, who just kind of liked uh the victim high more student. than her. Yeah. <laughs> and like took them on hunting trips and and then like showed favoritism to the victim, and so the daughter just murdered her and was like my daddy said that uh watching the life go out of something's eyes is the greatest experience you can ever feel so that was the two plots the sandhogs one was way more interesting absolutely and i wish that the other one would have tied into it because they probably would have bolstered the sandhogs plot too yeah so it's called a man a mile because that's how many people have died in this project yeah it's like a 60 mile project or something yeah it's expected to be over 60 miles long and 24 people have died so i would say that's actually like Point four men a mile. Um, if we're keeping track, if we're keeping yeah. track. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe maybe it was more back then. Maybe they've really cut down on the deaths since then. Yeah, uh, we pretty much told you everything you need to know about this. Yeah, it sucked. You know what? Kind of didn't suck. Death House. Okay, well, is... I was gonna say. Oh, sorry. <laughs> the one last thing I have to say is there was one good quote from this, which is, "I'm a sand hog. I got muck in my blood," which I appreciated. Good and then stuff. the very last note I have. Also, Bender's voice actor is a sand hog. That's true. Confirmed. The last note I have written for this episode is just, huh. I think it just ended very abruptly, um, and it was very odd. So- I, wrote, <laughs> I wrote down that Gary Sinise and Paul Walker's son is almost as incoherent as Gary Sinise is in this, uh, but I don't remember who I was talking about. <laughs> I think one of the Sandhogs, maybe the brother, who also kind of looks like Faramir. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> New York Faramir. Oh, there's also they also mentioned, unlike the Marines or the NYPD, there's no investigative branch of the Sandhogs, uh, which is just Mac Taylor really jerking off the quality of internal affairs in either of those two organizations. <laughs> Not known for solving crimes about that. So yeah, that kind of sucked. But you know what didn't suck? Death House, the season six, episode 10. I would argue it was not great, though. It wasn't terrific, but I don't think it sucked. I thought it was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the rating on IMDb? What do other people think about it, though, Daphne? Uh, it's got an 8.5 out of 10. That's, that's not bad. I technically cheated because it's not. it wasn't the best, but it was one, a episode that I remembered when I watched CSI, and I remember watching it and being like that was so awesome so i was like oh it's really high up there like we should watch it together and i was disappointed i'll say because once again it's just mostly people standing around (laughs) i'm sorry i i i'm speechless this isn't the top rated episode yeah i lied to you daphne can i have the podcast and the divorce (laughs) you you get i'll i'll take the assistant you can have the podcast okay interesting (laughs) then who's gonna edit these episodes That's true. That's true. Uh, you can make Dar do it. Yeah. Canonically, Bean edits all of our episodes. That's why seven and three were whack. Yeah. He really liked the what you say a uh, bit. So that's in the last episode. So. Let's talk about Death House. Death House. So this starts with the usual New York montage, actually longer and more establishing than ever before. 
with a series of 911 calls overlaid, including, as you might expect, the pertinent 911 call uh, in which somebody called in that somebody is dying, I think. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, save me, I'm dying, help. So they show up uh, and then they find a penthouse apartment that nobody's been in for 60 years, I guess. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and they find what appears to be an alien from They Live <laughs> on the floor, <laughs> which is actually a somehow mummified corpse. Uh, I wrote down Ben Stiller-looking Ben Stiller looking motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and then after the beautiful opening featuring a out-of-tone rendition of Bob O'Reilly, he still looks like Ben Stiller, WTF. <laughs> <laughs> what? Sorry, I was just really thinking about that mummified corpse looking like Ben Stiller. It really did. It looked like Ben Stiller. I'm telling you. They are absolutely dumbfounded that at the concept. So they find like a a weird hidden room with a skylight broken in with a rope dangling down from it. And they're like dumbfounded. They're like, this guy came here to break in and then he called 911 when he found a body. But he came here to do a crime. And it's like. I'm sorry, am I supposed to believe that somebody who wants to steal something is automatically okay with somebody dying and not dying? Yeah, well, who are you, the Punisher, Mac Taylor? Yeah, fucking Mac Taylor. Get out of here. You're not Horatio Cain. You don't get to execute people extrajudicially like this. Yeah. There's- Criminals deserve to die. Yeah. I'm Mac Taylor. We also show early on Adam, uh, who we mentioned earlier, your, your, your textbook geek of the era, is playing tangrams with broken glass for some fucking reason which they don't explain till later. He just gets interrupted because a rando walks in. Uh, and this is where she's like an FBI talent scout <laughs> looking for for one of the brunette women, I think. And uh, he's like, no way, her? Not him or me? <laughs> and then Sid uh, puts his glasses together in the front again, I think twice in one scene. They find out the victim in question, this dead body has been dead since 1923. What? Who, and he's also not the owner of the penthouse who died 30 years ago. Sid spends a good amount of time making a weird hologram of the skull. It is really funny. It looks like PS2 graphics. Yeah. Like, it like, is hilarious. Like, so many polygons in there. <laughs> yeah, it's like, spin. you can see, like, the spinning component to get the hologram working. I mean, I assume it's CGI, because I don't think an actual hologram would pick up that well. On no, they that. did it for that. They did it for that. They, they made holograms for that. Well, well, I mean, the, such things exist, uh, but it's also really stupid because like, why would he, he just like does a whole bunch of scan, photo scanning stuff. And then for some reason, the, the first format it shows up in is not a computer. It's a hologram. Yeah. <laughs> and it looks like a, a PS2 yeah. uh, he, face. He also leans in and snaps his glasses together to look at it. Oh, yeah, of course. And then Danny is able to, I don't uh, remember who that is, uh, is able to look up. The, use the 3D model with, that Sid made with a bunch of ancient photos and is like, it's this guy. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Cool. I wish that was how that worked. Yeah. And the um, whole time they're doing this, two people are actively dying. Yeah, two people, <laughs> yes. They, they have not found this out yet fully, but two people are dying. Um, they, 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 I think they've basically been like, seems like this guy didn't actually leave the apartment. That's weird. Yeah. They haven't, um, with the guy who called 911, but they haven't been like, all right, well, I guess we'll, you know, get out the x-rays and try to try to find anything that might be hidden in this apartment. Yeah. Well, they're like, one, I get it. It's a murder house, right? But it becomes obvious immediately that like a hidden door has opened up and a new room is now available. Yeah. And their first thought is not, oh, there's probably other hidden doors. Their first thought is, wow, those techs really are dumb, huh? Yeah. 
didn't see this obvious hidden door. Like, it swings open and it just looks like wall, right? They're not like, hmm, that's weird. They're like, dang techs, can't get good help these days. Nobody wants to work anymore. Yeah, we get a little callback to Adam's tangram work with that glass because it's revealed, oh, he put a, he's got some prints now, even though it shows you the prints and clearly several of them are just wholly on single pieces of the broken glass. <laughs> I also wrote down that Gary Sneeze's voice, so quiet, so, so... Sensual. Gentle. Sensual, is that what you said? Uh, maybe. Uh, sensual, yeah. I, I, I don't I don't disagree. I just, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm on the same page. Yeah, we're on the same wavelength. Uh, <laughs> not going to say what I was about to say. <laughs> uh, but it, it's like the easiest thing for there to be like destructive interference uh, with because anytime like you or I talked or Bean made noise or like a car drove by outside, there's just like zero chance you could hear what Gary's <laughs> like. What? Can you take that again, Gary? Yeah. Even if it's not particularly loud, it's just like it. it he just talks at a, at a frequency where everything just disarms that immediately. You yeah. can't hear what he's saying. We get to a reveal that the tile floor in the office where they found the body is a has a swinging polearm trap that killed him. It's just like a big axe that comes out of the the ceiling and skewers you yeah except it was the it wasn't the axe side of it it was the barb side of it so the guy got skewered with like four barbs off of the back of the pole arm which was pretty cool pretty cool it's got a pretty slow response time though so like stella didn't die which is fine i'm not saying i wanted her to die but it's just like seems like a pretty easy trap to avoid yeah so they discover that the, the floor tiles are actually a slide puzzle that's already been solved they were just solving the escape room basically a prohibition era escape room yeah with like three puzzles tops yeah there's some guy's like weird obsession uh that it turns out he used just to kill his enemy and, it, and his enemy ended up dying in the first step of the escape room yeah so it's like <laughs> uh okay okay job done yeah i don't know why you have all these there's- other traps at least two more deadly traps ahead. <laughs> yeah, so one, the first guy who breaks in is dead because he's been burned to death in this like incinerator, essentially, a la Saw 6 or whatever. <laughs> he called his wife before he died, and so his wife came in after him, and she's in this drowning puzzle, which, once again, these puzzles, very loose term. It's very unclear how they got in these puzzles to begin with yeah. because the detectives have to solve these puzzles in order to get where the bodies are. Right. It which includes like moving furniture and like doing all this other stuff. So it's like, surely they didn't do that. And then the house reset. Right. Yeah. So it's like, I don't even know how they got there in the first place. Yeah. It's really unclear. And it's like the place where the lady's behind the wall and the tank of water. It's like, I don't know if I just missed it, but I have no idea how she got in there. No, they never explain how she got in there. They're just like, she's behind the wall. Cool. How? <laughs> I think what they posited is she was in the bedroom, right? She solves the puzzle the same way they did which was bonkers. And then the painting behind the bed goes down and opens up. And I guess she crawled in there and then it closed up and filled with water. That's Maybe. my best guess of what happened. Yeah. But they solved that. And then, well, let's go back to the to the oven trap. Yeah, yeah. Which is like where the guy thought his friend, his enemy would get to and die in the oven because he had like a pre-recorded thing for him, I think, in that point. And this is where the guy who actually called the cops ended up dying. He got trapped in the oven trap because it was supposed to be inescapable. Uh, unlike the other thing where he was just dumb and stepped on a thing and died. Uh, or the previous guy. But they, they like spend time, they get the body out and whatnot. And then... <laughs> 
as they're as they're just like clearing out of that little oven room uh sheldon one of the one of the guys is like oh the phone's off the hook i'll just hang that back on there and then of course the trap resets and starts closing on him and trying to cook him alive (laughs) fun fact that man is now running for congress that that actor or the The actor it actually might be house of representatives He's running well, for um, office. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, I I hope. <laughs> I don't know. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I'll look it up later. <laughs> editor Hank, is it cool? Yes. Awesome. Good to know. Thanks, Editor Hank. Yeah. So of course Sheldon got trapped, and then and then they 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 discover the drowning room or whatever, and Gary goes death by knife, death by fire, and now Paula Davis is drowning, and it's like ah yes, the classic three elements: and he earth, said- water, and knife. <laughs> the fire, water. And knife. Yeah, he said, it looks like there's some kind of theme going on here. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Whatever, buddy. They also don't explore what would have happened. There's like a, there's a trap indicated or a uh, puzzle indicated by the slide where they open. <laughs> so funny because, because the whole point of the slide is if you solve it, all of a sudden you can get stabbed by a polearm. But all it does is it points at a book on a lectern that has a riddle in it. And it's like, okay, I could just read the book though, right? Like. <laughs> Why? Why would I? Why would I immediately jump to? I better solve the floor puzzle, the which I I hate slide puzzles. I'm really bad at them. Uh, and so I'd be like, I'm gonna read this book. Oh, cool. <laughs> Skip the floor puzzle. Yeah. The worst kind of escape room, though. Yeah. So they find the guy dead, and then they're like, oh, there's someone else in here, and so they knock on the walls and then the the lady knocks back and so they drill a hole in the wall and it just happens to be above the water line and they can see her like bear have have like a, a very small gap for air and she's like been in there for 12 hours canonically and they're like she's getting hypothermic she's gonna die and so they pipe in some air for her and they're like but we can't break down the wall because she'll die before we get do that in time my question they had time this has been haunting me they had time to drill a hole in the wall mm-hmm. and get her more air. If they had drilled it. that hole like two feet lower, it would have started draining. You get what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. And it's like, they it's, also, it's not going to hurt her. When they get her out, Mac carries her down outside the building to where the paramedics are. It's yeah, like, you didn't this have lady's paramedics. Been in an 80 year old bacteria soup for 11 hours. Like, you didn't have paramedics just chilling, waiting. On standby. Right? <laughs> Like what the hell? Yeah, <laughs> it's like you'd rather you'd rather just like carry her down the stairs in in two arms than have the the paramedics get a hold of her immediately and start helping her out. Yeah, with the st- gurney and stretcher. Yeah, possibly drowning, possibly uh, in need of resuscitation. <laughs> yeah, and the other part of it is that like, why didn't you just immediately call bomb squad? You know, and right. just have people in full body armor, just kind of like literally tearing the place apart with axes. Yeah, for sure. Like that would have solved literally every problem. Yeah, and uh, I also wrote down that the killer is a prohibition jigsaw doing a Vin- Vincent Price impression. That is true. Uh, he also mentions how the guy he originally wanted to trap with this place uh, stole his inventions and my fortune. But this guy who made this has had enough money and presumably continue to have enough money 30 years after his death to purchase a penthouse right on Central Park that no one investigated, did not, I don't know, foreclose on like property tax or get get uh, closed on, right? For 80 years. Yeah. <laughs> while this corpse sat in there. Yeah. Like, I, I think had, you're doing well, buddy. Yeah. I wrote weird ass puzzles, shit ass jigsaw. 
Shit ass jigsaw. That's my favorite Megan Thee Stallion song. Huh, interesting. Is that correct? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who sings WAP? That's uh, Megan Thee Stallion. Okay, thank God. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> uh, no, it's Cardi B, but oh. it features Megan Thee Stallion. Okay, okay cool, cool, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, distraction. Yep, bacteria soup, no paramedics, because if our heroes aren't able to save the day in this crime, then what else do they have to do? Because they're not allowed to do anything that's not related to the crime. <laughs> yeah, and they all just, they, the whole time they're solving these puzzles, by the way, they're just standing there. Yeah. Looking confused. That's all this episode was, was them standing there looking confused. And one of the puzzles is um, they have to make everything look like it looked like in a photograph with the guy, which, first of all, is sort of implied that I think the guy had to do that to get into the oven. But who who changed it all up again? <laughs> yeah. His <laughs> wife. did not look like that photograph? Gary. Gary. <laughs> Gary did it. And it's also like it only it only triggers when Gary's actually sitting like the guy is sitting in the in the chair. But there's only so many things that could actually be triggered, especially with like 1920s technology. So maybe it might have just been you have to sit in the chair. <laughs> yeah, that would have been funny, actually. Yeah. I think that's my my canon. All they had to do is sit in the chair. Yeah, all, they had to, all they really had to do is sit in a chair. Yep. Oh, that's also when when um with his female co-star, uh, I think Joe at that point. Yeah. She has her phone out with the picture of the of the guy's portrait from this room, and Gary it's keeps Stella, walking actually. over and just wrapping his whole hand around her hand, like during the shots where they're showing you the phone. And it's just like this the weirdest, like okay, Mac, that's not really cool. You can just ask her to show it to you or hand yeah. it to you, like it's a like, toddler. I'm gonna wrap my hand around your hand. <laughs> so uh, that's Death House. That's Death House, and that's kind of CSI New York. Yeah, it's kind of boring. Could have been a lot more interesting. I remembered it to being a lot more interesting than it was. Yeah. So now I'd like to transition to a new segment called Now to AO3 with Breaking News. Oh, boy. If you're not familiar with AO3, it stands for Archive of Our Own, which is the largest, don't quote me on that, pretty sure it's true, though, fan fiction website on the internet. Yeah, it's pretty pretty prominent. Rife with slash fiction. Yeah, which if you're not aware, slash fiction is... Um, erotic fan fiction. Yep. Between usually two characters uh, denoted with a slash between them. Mm-hmm. Or more characters. Or more be. characters. Or yourself, yep. as I found out. So it turns out the popular fan fiction site AO3 uh, has a very robust CSI scene. A, a robust Gary fetish. <laughs> robust Gary fetish. Actually, he's not in a whole lot of it. But oh, okay. Horatio Kane is, uh, I think, <laughs> very, very common in all that. But... Um, <laughs> This, includes, this is. I'm getting to my questions, Hank. Okay. So my favorite, uh, my favorite work that I saw was CSI Atlantis. Now for a point, Hank, what two franchises? Stargate come- Atlantis and CSI. Yeah, you're correct. It is yep. Stargate Atlantis and CSI. You're really gonna ask me, what are you? What does CSI Atlantis make me think of? Jason Momoa. <laughs> yeah, it could be Jason Momoa. It better be Jason Momoa. Better be Jason Momoa and Gil Grissom. Slapping cheeks, clapping cheeks, clapping cheeks, slapping cheeks, whatever they can do both. Censor it anyway. That's too obscene. Yeah. So you're correct. I'll give you the point for that. Thank you. I Uh, would expect it. Yeah. (laughs) I just want to say that if middle school Daphne knew that that had existed somewhere on the internet, she would have lost her mind. Mm -hmm. That's not to say the fanfic is for middle schoolers. That's just to say that the height of my obsession with both Stargate Atlantis and CSI was in middle school. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm in my Jason Momoa phase. Although I will say. Not a big fan of the character in Fast X. Just going to throw that out there. But you should still see it. Yeah. (laughs) I would like to say it is a miracle that I was not writing Warehouse 13 slash fiction. I was constantly doing it in my head, though. Yeah, we all were. Anywho, moving on. My eyes are (laughs) massively wide open like that corpse from the first episode. Yeah. Thinking about Claudia from Warehouse 13. My next question for you. 
Okay. Which of the CSIs has the most fan fiction entries? Miami. It is not Miami. Is it original CSI? It is original CSI with 3,874 works versus the longest one. Miami's 1,529 works and New York's 1,116 works. Unbelievable. I could not find and or I could not find CSI Cyber. <laughs> So we're going to assume that that's close to zero. It's a little hard to get in there in that search term. <laughs> yeah. Um. So lots of people seem to prefer the OG. I get it. Me too. The original uh, Gil. Original Gil. Um, but I'll say that there's so many crossovers that aren't always tagged properly. So that could be incorrect. I doubt it. <laughs> Particularly, there seems to be um, a decent market, though, for Horatio Kane and Mac Taylor smut. And I have a great description here I'd like to read for you. Horatio, Mac, a new... The door. The s- Need I say more? Don't own them. Shame. There'd be more s- with smut if I did. I'm going to bleep parts of that to make it sound as dirty as possible because it was very boring in reality. <laughs> oh, you didn't like it? <laughs> no, it was fine. Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I was expecting some real uh, wrong, wrong. I mean, stuff. I could, but I wasn't going to. No, 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 you're good. You're good. I was just joking. Sorry. I didn't mean, I didn't mean boring in that sense. I meant, I meant in the sense of imagining uh, Mac Taylor and Horatio Kane going at it over their shared passion of wanting to be the Punisher and wanting to kill the Punisher. Yeah. It wasn't me. wasn't me. I actually did it on the sofa. It wasn't me. did it in the bathroom. Counter. It wasn't me. <laughs> Counter, shower. shower. It wasn't me. Other place. Floor, I think, is in yeah. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anywho, so that comes to us from... And you can blur their name if you deem it fit after we have this discussion. No, we'll I'm not trying blast. to. I'm not trying to put them on blast. No, um, we'll, we'll blast them. So, and I will say that I read a couple of the general CSI and... NYC posts. And I thought had some of the best written stories in there. So go. Good for you. Some good stories. We've um, said it three times now, so that's my cue to, blo- to bleep it. Yeah. <laughs> now, they didn't include Stargate Atlantis or Transformers, but they were still interesting. She does have an 86 chapter vampire CSI slash fiction, though, so we can stand that. But she did also write um, slash fiction about her coworkers, which we don't stand. No, don't stand that. Bad. Bad. Don't write slash fiction about real people. It's more bleeps going in. PSA. <laughs> Other than the CSIs, what was the most common crossover? With CSI? With CSI, New York, yeah. You asked me this, didn't you? No, I did not. Okay, I, be- I vaguely remember saying Law and Order to this and being wrong, but I don't think it's Law and Order. It is not Law and Order. Yeah, cool. I didn't I didn't say that it was, so that's not my guess. Oh, okay. I'm going to go. We did talk about it really recently. Really recently? Criminal Minds. No. No. Wow. We talked about this yesterday. We did a deep dive into a certain person's Wikipedia page. Oh, that's right. Um, it would be NCIS. It is NCIS. You, I think you did ask me this. Um, I think I told you some general information. Okay. But I did not. I don't think I directly asked you this. But yeah. Um, if you want a reason to despise the um, central broadcasting system or service, whatever CBS stands for, uh, go read Eliza Dushku's uh, Wikipedia page. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, or more accurately, Michael Weatherly's. <laughs> Alleged horrible human being, Les Moonves, and whatever that guy's name is in NCIS. Michael Weatherly. Michael Weatherly, though, just the worst. Yeah, sex Allegedly. pest. Alleged sex pest, though not really alleged. Not really alleged, but I still don't want to get sued. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Um, I'll call Les Moonves out, though. Fuck you, Les Moonves. Yeah. <laughs> I will say as a side note, there's a lot of criminal minds in there, too. And those I can guarantee Mandy Patinkin would be ashamed of. So I just want to throw that out there. Some really dark Jason Gideon slash fiction. <laughs> it's 
There's actually some slash fiction from the episode where they have his corpse on screen for a while. God, probably. So yeah, I Spencer think- Spencer slash Gideon's body. Yeah, there's definitely stuff on AO3 that if Mandy Patinkin saw it, it would cause him to burn his computer and go live in the woods, just like the character he plays in Criminal Minds. I would be terrified to do a search for Spencer Reed on AO3. Oh, it's got to be all kinds of- All kinds of stuff. Fucked. Yeah, Um. so that was my deep dive into AO3 for this- segment I have chills um you should i had chills <laughs> it's a bad place to be in yeah. in, the, in the um procedural slash fiction sphere <laughs> yeah i was attempting to do a different game where i was gonna like read you segments of fiction and then i thought we could do like some sort of guessing game with it but that would have required me to read a lot more than i did and already no I'm, i've been scarred for life um yeah based off of the information that my brain already carries about the contents of AO3. There's only so much bleach in the world to pour into your eyes after reading that stuff. Yeah. Disclaimer, don't pour bleach into your eyes. Yeah, don't pour bleach into your eyes. Now, some of it's really funny because it's like Mac Taylor slash you, as in it's like written from your point of view and it's Mac Taylor like going to town on you. And I think that that's very funny. But it's also really funny when it's like Mac Taylor slash you slash Ahsoka Tano (laughs) or... Go watch Ahsoka on Disney Plus. Mac Taylor slash you slash Optimus Prime. And you're going like, to say Oppenheimer. <laughs> no. Oppenheimer slash Mac Taylor slash Horatio Kane slash, slash you. <laughs> slash Florence Pugh. Exactly. Optimus Prime. Optimus Prime. Uh, Peter Cullen. <laughs> Mac Taylor slash Peter Cullen slash Optimus Prime. Slash you. Slash you. <laughs> Optimus Prime takes off your face. Yeah. Optimus Prime uh, consumes you into his body like uh, in the new one. <laughs> I guess it would be you give Optimus Prime your face. Editor Hank, can we get that uh, line from Peter Cullen in there? Give me your face. Beautiful. And can we end with um, that Transformer song? Thank you. All right. So back to back to our ratings then. I don't know. 6.3 still feels pretty generous on my part. I don't know. Yeah, sure. What about a 6.4? 6.4, sure. Where does that put it re- relevant to CSI Miami? Now, let me look. Because I don't think, I think we do a disservice if it's, if it's below, yeah, because it's a better show than CSI. Well, even that, CSI Miami has arcs. CSI Miami, we did 5.5, so. 5.4, we're good, cool. 6.3, yeah. 6.4, 6.4. There we go. Beautiful, um, beautiful. 6.4, so that's canon. That is all for us there. Wow, we're back for season two, everyone. And what a longest episode yet. <laughs> Maybe it'll get edited down, but Yeah, we'll cut not. half of this. Especially all that time we spent talking about um, Mac Taylor getting absolutely pounded by Optimus Prime. Yeah, that- If you don't hear that in this episode, it's because we cut it. We had over 45 minutes of us reading aloud an AO3 fan fiction we of hired- Mac Taylor getting absolutely pounded by Optimus Prime. We paid Peter Cullen $30,000 to read his lines for Optimus Prime in that. Thankfully, then, we didn't even have to pay Gary Sinise because we could have just done it. I'm sorry, Gary. I don't. I respect the crowd. I could not do what Gary Sinise yeah, does. Yeah, we have respect for Gary. Respect okay, for, I sp- certainly could not put as much love into roles as as he does. I don't necessarily agree with his acting for these shows, but I'm sure that I will take the piss out of it. I'll take the piss out of it, but I'm sure that he's done a great job. And I'm sure Optimus Prime and Horatio Kane look forward to his sweet supple body. I know I do. All right, let's get out of here. <laughs> uh, do you want to talk about what we're doing next? Do we know what we're doing next? I think we're doing numbers next. Num, num, sorry, num three R's next. Yeah, uh, big fan four stick energy. Yeah, let's let's jump from uh, everybody, everybody on Ao three who has daddy issues writing about Gary Sinise's Mac Taylor 
over to everybody who has I don't know, brother issues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, David Crumholtz on more like David. Yeah, and you're gonna have to bleep that. Um, we'll but bleep that's okay. That, and I am gonna just make that joke again in the next episode. Yeah, every single time. Every single time. I even when we're not doing numbers and not doing anything that David Crumholtz has anything to do with, I'm gonna be like David. David Crumholtz. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so next week will be not next week. So next step. So next time we'll be watching numbers or number threeers, and uh, we hope to see you there. Uh, if you like our podcast, please rate it on your podcast platform of choice. It would. Uh, Help us out greatly in knowing that somebody's out there listening to us. That sounds sad. I know somebody's out there. Kira. I know you're out there, Kyra. Derek. Derek. Mark. End of list. End of list. (laughs) (laughs) But please, by all means, uh, if you write something there and give us a five-star review, I will read it out. As well as check out our stuff at Dank.Pizza. Exactly. Now, uh, Mr. Lincoln, sir, play us out. 